Welcome to Podcasting with the President. I am your host, Dr. Christopher Hopi, President of Merrimack College. In this episode of Podcasting with the President, I was joined by Brittany Aiello, Associate Professor of Criminology and Criminal Justice, and Emma Duffy Camperoni, Assistant Professor of English. Our conversation focused on their work in jail education and the impact Merrimack College is having on our local criminal justice system. We discussed the courses and experiences offered to incarcerated students, how our Augustinian mission inspires their research and life-changing experiential learning opportunities available to Merrimack students. We touched on the growth of the program over the last few years, a recent grant received to fund a new initiative, and their vision for the future of jail education program. I hope you enjoy this very interesting podcast about our work in educating incarcerated students. Well, folks, welcome back to Podcast with the President. I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Hopi, and today I have two of our really great young professors here at the college, Brittany Aiello and Emma Duffy Comproni. Well, it's great to have you here today, and you know, I'm really interested in your topic and what you do in research. In particular, uh, talk a little bit about your jail education program here at the college that you've started up. And, and, and Brittany, I'll start with you and just tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into this area and your research work. Well, my research focuses on incarceration, so I look at maternal incarceration and the way that um, women's motherhood becomes a part of the jail experience. So even though they're separated from their children, how does motherhood, both formally and informally, influence their experience? How does it become part of their punishment? So uh, for my dissertation research, I did 18 months of participant observation ethnography in the women's unit of a county jail, and I also interviewed 83 incarcerated mothers. So I just had you know, spent a lot of time with incarcerated people, with women, with the staff. I um, spent time with their children volunteering at a mother-child visitation program. And what you figure out really quickly spending time with incarcerated people is that um, there are just some amazing people there, right, that didn't have the opportunities that you or I might have had. And so when I think about education and and the the project that we've started here, um, I'm thinking of this people like this woman. um, I call her Sarah. She had almost no formal education. She had her first child at 13 years old, and she had was in and out of jail, you know, for most of her young adult life. But whenever there was a graduation or an occasion that called for a speaker, her her fellow inmates asked her to do it because she was this like amazing orator. She gave these beautiful speeches, these amazing talks. She almost couldn't read, right? but she could speak and had just clearly this talent. And I often thought about, right, if if her life had gone differently, if she'd been born somewhere else um, and didn't live in poverty, she would have been a professor, right? She had just this amazing gift. We'd sit around and listen to her all the time. And so there are a lot of people like that. And you you find out really fast that um, we have a lot of untapped resources. And so given the resources that we have right here at Merrimack, which is education, how can we connect our resources to people that would benefit greatly from them and never really had access to them? Now, how did you get interested in the topic itself? Oh, I was in grad school. I was sort of like, what am I doing with my life? And then I I TA'd for a course on the family. At the same time, I took a grad course in crime law and inequality. And so the issues just sort of coalesced. And I said, I really want to get, I really want to look at mother's incarceration. At that time, I think I was interested in how women justify or talk about their criminal behavior because um, so much of the sociology on crime looks at men as rational decision makers, like they're doing it for economics. Women get constructed as sort of, you know, traumatized, hysterical, not doing things for you know reasons that we tend to respect, which is like you need money, you sell drugs. Um, so I was sort of curious about how they explain things to their children 
And that question fell by the wayside once I got in there because I was really more interested in how the penal institution um, exercised control around understandings of motherhood, definitions of good motherhood, access to children, and stuff like that. Now, what, what, from your experience, I mean, and your expertise, it seems to me that, you know, that there are a number of issues of, of women with children in prison. Um, and, and how does, you know, and I would see from my view that our, our penal system doesn't do a very good job of that. But what are, from your standpoint, what are some of the big public policy issues there? What are some of the big concerns you have as a researcher and just as a regular citizen looking at it? I, I, I left my dissertation research feeling like the questions are so big and they are so st- systemic and they are so society-wide that I feel like solving these problems later on is is really complicated and a long shot. And I don't want to be um, fatalistic about it. But, you know, it really gets back to widespread inequality. I mean, the women that I worked with had lived in abject poverty. They lived in areas where there were very poor educational systems. You know, they had not a lot of economic options. You know, a lot of them had children very young, right, because there wasn't something else out there that said, you can go do this, right, that would have would have stopped that or prevented it. Um, so that's part of it. And then when you get into incarceration specifically around women, you know, one of the big problems is that women make up only 10% of the incarcerated population, which, you know, is good. But what it means is that they get fewer resources. So, you know, there's two institutions, right, in Massachusetts that incarcerate women for any significant amount of time. One is Framingham State Prison. The other is Western Mass Correctional Center in Chicopee. So if you live in any sort of rural place, right, your children are maybe a couple hours away. And that's in Mass, which is a small state. So if you look at, you know, other states that are larger, um, the population is is greater. So women get less visitation from their children. Um, They're less able to maintain family ties. A lot of the programming geared toward women is... um, focused on the individual. And and there's need for that, right? A lot of these women have trauma. They have drug addiction. They have a lot of problems that need intense therapy. Um, but they also need jobs and they need educational opportunities. And, you know, it's almost ironic because our work is in a man's jail, but that's the fact is that those are the facilities close to us where we can do this kind of work. So does that make sense? It does, yeah. It's, it's fascinating how you get into that topic and kind of it was just from your own experiences in grad school. I mean, Absolutely. I myself, you know, have a background in adult literacy simply mm-hmm. because of grad school. Mm-hmm. It, if you looked at my my life's research path, my academic path, there's no way I should be there. But I fell in love with it. It was fascinating to me how, you know, and and really in 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 in, in kind of low economic neighborhoods, how the education system just fails. It's amazing. The formal system really is not very good there, and so many folks end up kind of going for their GEDs, right? But they're very bright, very articulate. I mean, even doing studies around the access to eye classes. Right. And in the work there, and then we see voting patterns. It's just fascinating to me that, in some ways, the country hasn't spent the time to actually solve these problems. And you really don't get a picture of it if you grew up middle class or no. even in a in a you know I I was relative relatively poor growing up, but I had a, a really good public education. You know, the people around me had resources. The difference between that and absolute poverty is mind-blowing. And, you know, even the other women in the jail, they thought I must have never done anything deviant, right, because I made it that far in my education. And that was eye-opening for me, too. It's like, actually, not at all, right? I just had the structures around me that were going to lead to my success, and they didn't. Yeah, that's what I saw just in the world of adult literacy. Some of these, you know, most people in adult literacy programs are 16 years old, 17 years old. They're high school dropouts who have no other way to go, but they're very bright and articulate, but the system doesn't know how to actually help them. Right. Uh, and if you look at prison incarceration, at least at the men's side, 
um, where you have huge literacy issues, there's usually either uh, functional literacy problems or or a learning disability, mm-hmm. which is a big part. And once you, if you can't w- work through those, if you're a middle class, upper middle class kid, the school systems help you get through those problems. But if you're not in a system that can help you do that, your confidence, your ability to be socioeconomic, to move around mobility goes away. So it's fascinating how your graduate experience kind of tapped you into that and, and kind of just kind of set your life's path on kind of this interesting topic. Yeah. So, Emma, a little bit about your background. So how did you get to this topic? Um, so I'm a fiction writer, so I mean, I don't really have the more direct academic link, I guess, to the to the work, but um, I guess I got into it, well, I went to, I did my MFA at BU, and BU has one sure. of the oldest yeah. programs in the in the country, and a lot of my professors were, were teaching for it, um, and, and a lot of alum that I had met and friends I had met were teaching for it, so I had tried for like, I don't know seven or eight years, try, just, just to try to get into the program to teach as an adjunct, and I actually couldn't because the wait list was so long. Yeah. I wanted to do it because, you know, I love to teach writing um, to anyone, you know, because writing's really, you know, you can teach the nuts and bolts of it, which is, which is really fun, but, you know, writing is a way for people to really speak from, like, the deepest parts of themselves, you know. Um, it's about, you know, catharsis, and it's about... Um, self-discovery and and exploration and introspection and you know it's a chance to um, find a voice and that's really that's really important for anybody right Um, and when you find that voice you find agency and you can you can sort of grab a little bit of empowerment um, and it's also a chance to you know break the silence and tell your own story and once you've told your story you know you can like you can be heard, you know, anyone can listen to you. Um, and so I think knowing that and knowing that, you know, my students here, you know, have the capacity to, to sort of find those things. I, I really wanted to bring that to a population uh, that's really going to need that. Right. So, you know, when you think about people who are incarcerated, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that they're pretty disenfranchised and, and dehumanized, frankly. Um, and in those classes, I've, I've really found that, you know, there's, there's this really deep set fear of being um, forgotten and irrelevant. So to be able to go into a class of incarcerated students and say, here's some tools uh, to really let it rip. You know, here, I'm going to listen to your story and your story matters and it's, it's worth telling. Um, you know, it's really a chance for them to kind of say, you know, I'm still here. I have a story and I'm going to tell it and it actually does matter because a lot of people I'm, I'm really finding they've never been told that in their entire lives yeah that's fascinating tell me a little bit about um about what is it like going into the president teaching so so like what for our listeners just talk about like you show up like what happens like, like how does it work i don't think a lot of people understand yeah. from outside the prison system you know, or the jail system, what that experience is like as an outsider coming in and, and what the experience is like. I think a lot of people probably have, you know, impressions that don't really match the reality of when you go in. So, so Emma, what yeah, was that um, experience been like? I'll be honest, this this issue, right, of, of mass incarceration really wasn't on my radar all that much. Um, I'm passionate about, about a lot of things and a lot of issues, and this just hadn't totally made the cut yet. So, you know... Um, so the first time I was in a jail was the time I, I was thinking about teaching um, at at the jail, and I I, I guessed at one of at one of Brittany's classes, and so I you know I'll be honest I was a little intimidated, um, which I think is what you're getting at, right? Like you know we have we we all have sort of 
ideas about what it might be like. But it's um, not as intimidating once you're no, there. No, oh, not at all. Um, yeah. You know, you go in, you give your ID, and you go through a metal detector, and you get a badge, and you go through a couple heavy doors that clink behind you, and it's, you know, you're aware of it, whatever. Um, you walk through the halls, and then you, you show up um, in a classroom, and there's a whiteboard, and there's a projector, and there's windows, and... Um, and then your students walk in, and the only difference really is um, they're a little. Some of them are a little older, you know. It's it's. A, but I also have students in the, who are 18, 19, 20, 21, um, and they're all wearing a jumpsuit, you know. But but honestly, besides that, there's absolutely no difference. Um, and I I I have a blast. Yeah. Um, and I can speak maybe later about about the quality of these students, but yeah. they're they're so excited to be there, and they're so grateful, and they're extremely. Ext- I cannot overstate how intelligent they are uh, and dedicated. So it, it's a blast. And, and you, you forget you're there. Yeah, that's great. And Brittany, how about your, your experience with that? Um, I found more it was um, convincing them that I can be trusted, right? So people think that they're going to be scary. They're not. They're very, you know, vulnerable and um, ready to do this. And they're very excited about it. And it's just it's a nice compliment to the Merrimack students. I love my Merrimack students. They're fantastic. Um, we have a lot of fun in class. And this is just something really different. Like, these guys have had different experiences. They have had different lives. And they can bring that to the table when you talk about examples in class or whatever it may be. So um, I love it. I mean, if anything, it's like, you know, sometimes managing just the ebb and flow of a penal institution is the hard part, like yeah. schedules yeah, or, a, you know. It's a, stru- a very yeah. structured environment. Exactly. Um, but in some ways, that, like, severe structure makes it lighthearted. Like, um, you have all these really rigid social norms in some way, yet there's a relaxation in other ways. Like, because we are all, for the most part, older adults. Not necessarily older, but um, there's just less of the, like, I'm the teacher and you're the student, right? We all kind of bring a little bit more of a different life experience to the table. Well, so a, it's fun. That's interesting. Let's talk a little about the program here at Merrimack and how it got started and... Uh where it's going, where you hope it goes. Talk a little bit about, so Brittany, since you've been kind of the uh, the brainstorm of this and the kind of the, the founder of it, talk a little bit about, about how you got this idea to do this and you're very passionate about it, I know as president, so talk a little about that. Um, well, when I was in graduate school, I had taught a class, a mixed class at Holyoke Community College of formerly incarcerated women in traditional, um, well, community college, so not totally traditional, but you know, regular students. Um, I had done the inside out training a while ago, which Emma and I did again recently, and we can talk about. And it was just something that was on my radar for a long time. Like, I really wanted to do this. I knew the value in it. I knew working with incarcerated students was fantastic. Um, So I sort of, you know, in my early years of adjusting, put it on the back burner. It was in the back of my mind, but I didn't plug away. And then I did a zero credit course um, with the support of a faculty development grant the semester before I got tenure. And then, if you recall, (laughs) when we had my meeting, um, when I got tenure, I had a conversation with you and Provost Weatherwax, and you said, we want you to go do this. And I almost (laughs) fell off my chair. I was like, you do? Awesome. Let's do it, right? So I added, it was like the week before the semester started. I was teaching drugs and society. So I just added a section of that, and I did the overload Um, And that was like the beginning where, you know, I just keep coming back and say, all right, are we doing another one, guys? And and you and Al kept supporting it. And that was amazing. And then, you know, Emma, I don't know, we just met through friends on campus. And she was like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And um, she got involved. And that's been really that was a real turning point to have this collaborative project because the work she does with with these guys with writing is just so phenomenal. Like. When I would go into her class, I'd be like, all right, those are some things I need to do. Why does this pedagogy work so well? Part of it is like in the creative writing classes that you're sharing 
as you go along. And I think that really connects the guys and sort of breaks down some of those barriers. So she comes along, things start changing. She took it over when I went on sabbatical. And then um, more recently, we've been drafting sort of a long-term plan for what this could look like. So we'd like to be offering, you know, gen eds regularly, right, that are easily transferable. We have relationships with um, North Shore Community and Northern Essex to sort of get these guys started in hopes that they'll then continue their education there. The provost has this year supported six classes, Mm -hmm. right, which was a big jump, which was amazing because now we're able to get other faculty and other disciplines involved. So we're trying to get the structure together for that. We have someone who taught intro to philosophy this year. Someone's going to teach oral communication. We had a marketing professor, right? So it's taking off in that regard and expanding to other faculty. Ultimately, um, I think what we'd really like to have is a center, like a center for educational justice on campus that can act as like a gateway for all of these things. So one of the things that I think we do really well at Merrimack is we get out into the community. Oh, yeah. But this campus is such a great resource. We have students here that can help foster this work. So how can we create a space on campus that helps um, nurture this program, houses this program, perhaps involves some of the other mentoring that we're doing with, um, like we just started a pilot this year with the Merrimack Valley Family Services where Merrimack students are mentoring um, kids in the community. Father Ray has been supporting that. So I kind of like to see an umbrella where we're getting at these issues in a variety of ways um, and that acts as like a gateway to the campus. So I feel like that was a long-winded. What, what else did I, I miss that's here? that's a great story. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> for me as president to see how far you've come with this idea and this yeah. just was a, a little idea of just this kind of, you know, dip our, our foot in the water and now it's become six classes, more faculty involved. It's kind of it's like a magnet of a way of thinking about something different and very organic and very much led by you and you, Emma. And it's been terrific to watch and see as a president. It's nice to see ideas develop, incubate, germinate, and grow, right, yeah. and become something. And 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 it's my understanding the big news is um, you've got a grant. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that grant. This is the first I've heard of it, actually. Oh, really? Yep, yep. So basically, um, you know, so we've been teaching in the jail, and that's, that's awesome, right? And and I don't I don't know if we've really Brittany could probably speak to this quite a bit, but in general, you know, when you ask ask ourselves why why do we teach in prisons and jails, you know, I mean, there's there's a ton of reasons, right? But one of one of the one that's you know is often cited is that it, it's linked to recidivism, right? So basically, the more education you have, the less likely you are to return. Um, so that's obviously a reason for this, but. You know, we uh, the the more we've been doing this, um, and the more we've been part of what's called the Massachusetts Prison Education Consortium, which is basically just, you know, any organization or um, college or university, et cetera, that's involved in this work. We we get together, you know, once a month or so, and we're we're trying to work together to to figure out a more streamlined approach to all this. Um, but anyway, in in our work with this, we realized like, okay, a lot of schools, you know, colleges and universities, they're all excited to or already uh, teaching and offering classes in, in prisons and jails, which is great. But that's not really the, that's not the only thing. Like, that's not the only key to getting people living meaningful lives, right, when they, when they get out of jail or prison. So what we want to do is, and it's a tall order, I think, but we, we want to develop like a bridge program. So, you know, we'll, we'll continue to teach in the jails, but the idea is that, you know, we would meet students who, you know, had taken our classes in the jail, and then when they're released, um, we'll be able to offer them a couple of courses in the community, 
right college courses so that while they're while they're out and they're trying to deal with all the obstacles they will face when re-entering the community right um things we probably can't even imagine dealing with um they can keep the momentum they started in jail with with this with this educational trajectory um so obviously logistically it's going to be challenging for us but we're really excited um by the thought of you know offering these classes on the outside we already have a facility it's the um Lowell Lowell. community counseling center yeah it's this beautiful space um and they have classrooms already ready for us um so you know ideally we would be able to offer these classes and then also offer you know educational counseling try to sit down with them try to figure out what they want to do and and life counseling life counseling right and we want to offer that you know not 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 by us individually but we want to hire someone to to offer that and get them in a school the Rappaport Foundation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, That is great. It is great. And that I, is, I told you to get one, right? Well, I know. I know. We were so excited. We're trying. But, yeah. So it's like... No, it is, yeah. it's a process. Yeah. And I think it, it, you know, it worked out well because without the experience of the years before, we wouldn't have known. You know, I used to sit there at the jail on one of the staff computers being like, let's do a FAFSA. Let's apply to college. But you can't go jail college, right? There's just too much to figure out. Housing, jobs, rebuilding relationships. Um, but you do want to keep them moving. So how do we make it that this is a long-term plan? And the other thing is like, you know, in a jail, we might have them for two or three classes max, probably less, right? The sentences are short. The turnover is constant. Um, so if you're doing it in a, a prison, you can you can finish a degree, right? We're not going to do that. So how do we make our program make sense with the reality of incarceration in jails, which is really much more, um, you know, 19 times as many people are rotating through jails as prisons, but it presents all these challenges related to turnover and short times and, and all of that. Short term, three, right. six, nine, and, 12 months. Yeah. And so it's like, ideally, this program will accommodate the challenges, but also harness like the benefits. So, so what's cool about jails, actually, is that they're local. So that's um, one of our <laughs> um, so, jokes together. Yeah, because we say it constantly because we're trying to sell jails, jails instead of prisons. Um, but honestly, it's true. Like, so for instance, you know, I don't know how many prisons are in Mass, like five or five or whatever. six or seven. And they're, they're all know. over. But if you're in prison in Massachusetts and you get released, you're not necessarily going home to like Concord. And when you were in Concord prison, you're going home to wherever you lived. Yeah. So, but in jails, you know, we have two literally in our, almost in our backyards, yeah. 20 minutes away. And so we're teaching people who are from Andover sometimes, you know, um, they live on one, you know, Route 120, whatever. Like, they're like, you know Route 125? I'm like, yeah, I drive on that. Um, you know, so they are also being released locally. Yeah. So, no, we can't offer degrees, which is a bummer, right? But we can we can stay involved in their lives as they get out, but which you, is really cool. Yeah, but you can bit create, I mean, like anything, getting a college degree is an accumulation of credits. Absolutely. Exactly. Right? And um, through the mass transfer and those kind of programs, mm-hmm. then, right? These credits, you can use them at Merrimack or someplace yeah. else, right? And the reality is, is that, you know, I mean, this is a national topic. The federal yeah. government's talking a lot, and the Republicans are actually, which is surprising, talking a lot about um, using Pell Grants. Right. Right, for, for what they would call prison education, right, jail education. And both while you're incarcerated and right afterwards. Right? Yes. And that, that's a powerful tool mm-hmm. to help individuals um, um, get their education. And they have a lot of things against them getting that, which is an important tool yeah. uh, helping them do that. that. That's great. So, so, so you've done all this great work. You've um, you, you really kind of changed the lives of many young men um, in this program. Um, but, but you're also 
um, researching and writing about it. And, and so recently, you both co-published an article in the Journal of Prison Education and Reentry. Tell me a little bit about that article, what you wrote about. Tell me a little bit about um, the challenges and successes you've experienced through your work in the county jails and, and, and really how that article is being received. We think well. <laughs> it's still pretty recent. So um, one of the things, you know, the benefits, I think, are uh, the title of that prod, of that article is a quote from one of our students that said, I never thought I could accomplish something like this, right? So just tapping into that, mm-hmm. you know, seeing sort of someone beam when they just realized, I've finished a college class. This was never something that they thought was accessible to them. Um, so, you know, there's great value in that, of course. I think one of the challenges um, is that penal facilities are really individual little cultures and kingdoms and worlds. So you have to really figure out how how can we make this work in an institution that is historically and structurally not geared to this, right? So, um, you know, it's really about connecting with individuals. We've tweaked the schedule and when we teach and what time over and over again. So um, we've condensed the classes and made them a little accelerated. So, you know, when we would do a 16-week semester, you'd lose guys. They'd either go to pre-release or they'd get out or whatever it may be. The first time Emma did that eight-week class, I think she kept everybody, right? So we're figuring out that part of it. What else would you say? I mean, I'm trying to remember what else we wrote about, but it's um, using TAs. So yeah, that's we been wrote a real about benefit. using... So you bring Merrimack, we bring Merrimack students, students. That's, yeah. that's a great yeah. experience. Yeah, really fun. And we have a couple other... Yeah, so this was our first article. We're currently revising a chapter um, for an anthology. We have another one on deck about using TAs. So, um, you know, we've been collecting evaluation data every class from the beginning with IRB approval, of course. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we haven't even really fully tapped that yet, I don't think. And I think there's a lot more scholarship that we could do on that. But those are some of the challenges. I mean, it, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. And, and I think there's a notion that as much as it's, it's wonderful and it's fun, it's like twice the work of teaching a regular class. I mean, you're going to the jail. You're managing all this stuff. They can't whip out their laptops and send, send you an email. email. Right? <laughs> um, so figuring out. And I can't out, research right. either. You know, it's very difficult. To not yeah. And so try to do it. And you want it to be comparable. You, you know, we're not going in there to deliver like a, a crappy course. We want it to be just as as meaningful. So you do a lot of legwork around that. But now I'm realizing, I think we published that before we started the eight-week model, right? Did we? I think so. So like we were talking a lot about, oh, it's so difficult to have this, you know, you get this awesome class chemistry and then you have students, you know, chairs are emptying for various reasons um, that aren't in their control at all, the students' control. So that, that, as a professor, that was really kind of heartbreaking. The neat part is you're you're adapting and changing the model. To meet their needs, right? I mean, ultimately, Mm -hmm. we hope everything we do in education does that, right? Right. That that what's driving it is the needs of the students, not our needs, right? Right. And I think that's really, I think, for both of you, commendable because it's, you know, um, these young men, these middle-aged men, Mm -hmm. um, have had a lot of things put against them, you know? I mean, it's, you know, I always have this saying, it's, you know, know, we don't get to choose who our parents are. You know, and that is the reality of what that's really the basis of inequity in the country, right? Yeah. As at the end of the day, is that in many ways, you know, there was people who get out of that, but, mm-hmm. but poverty does follow families. Right, exactly. And it's a massive issue for society. And there are lots of great examples of people who break out of that. But there's many more examples of people not. Yeah. And and we like to, as a society, highlight, look, at they, they came from nothing and made something of themselves. But, you know, circumstance opportunity, chance, luck, whatever it is, mm-hmm. sometimes is what intercedes. And 
You know, you think all the way back, you know, in, in, in your own families and your own lives, generations back, and, and there's always something that at some point interceded. You met, they met somebody along the way, and it changed your life. And, and, I, and I am probably willing to bet if we go back 20 years from now and look at some of these young men you've educated in the classroom, you've probably impacted more than you think, and some of them you may have changed your trajectory. I hope so. Uh, yeah, so. I, I'm willing to bet on it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, just the odds alone say you have, right? And but but so many, so many of these young folks don't have the opportunity to meet folks like you who care and want to spend the time, and and bring uh, intellectualism to that environment. Right? I mean, you know, the, the 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 writing class is fascinating to me because it is in some ways a form of counseling. Oh, the stories and the vulnerability yes. of being in a group, but doing it around a project, you know, and there's some, you know, the ability to write and talk about your feelings and, and put it on paper mm-hmm. and think through those as yeah. a powerful, powerful tool and one's own kind of self-actualization and thinking mm-hmm. differently about themselves. So yeah. um, talk a little bit about, the, about, about what you're teaching. Brittany, and, and what you're trying to do, and you know, I know the short course and the structure, but but talk about actually, you know, if you have any stories about, you know, so our so our listeners can hear this about about you know the work you're doing, how it does impact them. Yeah, um, well, you know, I teach, I'm a sociologist, and I teach a lot about inequality. So I think them like these these structures ring true for the experiences they've had in their lives. So um, just being able to step back, right? We live in such an individualized culture that they understand many of their problems. And so does, quite frankly, the criminal justice system, individual failings, right? So how do you stand back and look at sort of the life you've lived and the structure you've lived and better understand why your life has taken the course it has? So, you know, a lot of my courses will have a series of response papers where we're using class concepts to help unpack that. And so some of the writing that they do in there, right? I'm not a creative writer, but writing is a big part of my discipline as well. And so um, seeing them learn to verbalize that, right? And, And really just figuring out like, wow, my life went this way, not because like I'm a horrible person, right? But because X, Y, and Z happened or because I didn't have access to these things. And so doing that and then realizing what it does for their self-esteem. So we've had little graduations like at the jail where, um, you know, students have spoken and and to really hear, like, I do think we've made a difference, right? Even if it's not, yeah, you got a degree or even if it's not these, these college credits led to something, it's very similar to, I think, what Emma experiences in her classes where people are just finally getting to tell their story and feel valuable. Um, That's that's, that's one of the most powerful things we can go through is to feel valued and feel like somebody cares. Mm -hmm. It's really the core of everything we're talking about. Right. And it's like I was just thinking of this one one student I had who had had, you know, he, he was a child of an incarcerated parent, right? And so he had a ton of animosity towards authorities because, like, his house had been broken, the door broken down, and, you know, no regard. I think people... Uh, law enforcement does a better job with this now. We know more about how to handle children when a parent is arrested. Um, but, you know, he had all of those those things, right? But then he, he, he spoke at the graduation, and at the time, one of our students, Dulcelina Miranda, who's fantastic, she's graduated now, but she was the TA. She worked really intensively with them in the computer lab, and, and I was there, and the department was there. And um, he just talked about, like, when you tell me that I'm an author, like, that— it. it I feel like I'm, I'm being redundant. It really is. It's really fun. Did you an article? It's powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually, I it was very small and, you know, not a huge deal, but I did 
like all semester I was having people work toward a, an anthology. So I was like, get your best stuff. And then I, I came in for like a week and I came in every day and just hung out with them in the computer lab and they were editing and revising over and over. And um, and then I went to, you know, Staples and made like a booklet, an anthology, mm -hmm. and I brought them in um, on the our last day, our little party. And they were like really excited to see. I mean, of course, it's so cool to see have your, you your work in print. some of them publish it into like maybe the college create its own sort of journal? Yeah, I'd love to. And a lot of universities are doing that. In fact, I just um, emailed... Um, the woman we work with at uh, Middlesex who runs the education department, there's a, I just noticed there's a, um, so Columbia has a, like the Columbia MFA program, I think, is run out of there. It has a writing contest for incarcerated people. And then, so I sent it to her and I said, if any of my students are still around, like, get a hold of them. <laughs> and um, I, could, I said I would come in and help them. D decide what to submit, you know. But yeah, there's there's a lot of. Um, this is a short There's story a lot of contests, yeah. absolutely. And there's 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 a ton of, you know, anthologies that are published, um, and edited by writers, you know. So I, I mean, ideally, I'd love to do that at some point. That'd be great. Um, yeah. So I want to kind of change the topic a little bit and 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 talk a bit about Merrimack and and your experiences at Merrimack um, as both as faculty, but I, I want to talk a little bit about kind of your work and you know we're a Catholic Augustinian institution. Um, it, it, this kind of work is uh, is not just um, inspiring; it's encouraged. It's 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 kind of kind of in our DNA a little bit. Talk a little bit about how you work at Merrimack, um, and the Merrimack culture has helped you do this a little bit. Not the bureaucracy part, but the the culture <laughs> part. Yeah, but it's, it's not always easy to get things done at a university, but you know, in some ways, you know, um, not all colleges would in, invest or encourage this either, right? Because Absolutely. Talk a little bit about that. Um, I remember that actually when I was doing my phone interview when I applied for this job, that you know, the faculty were like, what do you think about working at a Catholic institution? And I was like, actually, I know with the work I do, like, that's how you have an angle, right? There's a social justice orientation and it becomes part of the mission and I see it as a real asset. Um, so yeah, that's always been sort of in the backdrop for us. I think it's been our justification for why we should be doing this work, and we write about it a lot. I mean, Villanova, our is it a sister school? Sister school, sister school uh, has the other Augustinian yes, school in the United States has a long-running, amazing prison ed program at Greater. Well, it's now called something else, but it used to be yeah, Greater. Former President Merrimack. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Actually runs it. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's amazing. That's how. I, that's one of the ways I got into it too. A friend of mine um, is there, and I visited their program a bunch. And then when I when I started this one, I took a trip down there and met with faculty and met with students there to think about you know what's the best practices and give me some advice. Did you meet, so, with, Father, did you meet with Father Deegan? Not he back actually, then. He although, runs the Prison Education Program yeah. in Philadelphia. I think when I went, it was before he was yeah. there. I'm not sure, but I did at the time. It was run by someone in sociology and criminology, yeah. and I, I talked to him about it. Um, so you know, there's a real there's just a real tradition that we can draw on, and I think um, you know both as a, a justification, but also with the logistics. Like, we're not the first people to do this, right? We know there's a real tradition here and that we can continue to draw on it to get this done. Yeah. yeah. How's it been with the students, um, your, your Merrimack students, and receiving this and being involved? What's that been like? They, they love it. I mean, you know, and just to speak to what, was, what Brittany was just talking about, I mean, it, I think this work is perfect for the school because it's, it's like a real marriage of teaching and service. So you don't even have to try to pick one and then the other, you know, they're, they're interrelated. Um, and so it's so nice to be able to bring our students in because it's, it is experiential learning. I mean, we talk about that a lot on this campus too. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of like service learning too. Um, and so I've, yeah, so my first class, I, I just ended up using criminal, right, criminology students 
at the time. At the time, because yeah. Because I, I was new to it, and um, and they were wonderful, you know, and they had never taken a creative writing class, but it didn't matter. They would just come to my class, too, and they would help the students. Um, but the last, let's see, this this semester, I finally came up with a course so that my own English students, English majors, could receive credit um, for this work. So I brought in two English majors into the GL oh, this great. semester, and they, they absolutely loved it. I mean, I wish they were here so they could talk about it themselves. I would, but, love, I would um, love to talk to them. Oh, uh, yeah, that, that would probably be a great uh, podcast. Um, but it was just it's so incredible to watch them um, you know, go in. And so originally I wanted them to come with me to one class, and then they would they would go on an off day and help like when the students came down to work on their their creative writing pieces but within the second week they were like no we just want to we just want to spend both our days alone with them like we don't need to sit in your class and I was like great um, yeah and so you know they would they would go in to the computer labs and they would you know they would offer like one on one on one help with their writing they would hold little writing workshops um, and you know the, my students are very modest but when I would when I would my, marry my students but when I would go into uh, the jail the next day, my incarcerated students, you know, also Merrimack students, mm -hmm. uh, would be like, they're so amazing, you know, Carly actually, you know, I didn't understand this poem, but she was helping me, and she read it out loud to me, and she was explaining what, you know, syllables were, and she told me to put my, you know, my fist under my chin, and that's a syllable, whatever, you know, and I was like, oh my God, she did that. Um, and they were incredible, and they helped me put together the anthology, and in fact, they loved it so much that they, they actually continued to go in every week, and now they're helping... Um, men work on their resumes uh, for a job fair that's that's happening very it soon. It already happened. It already yeah. happened. Okay, awesome. Really, yeah. So so they love it. And then one of my students has done it. She's about to do it for her third time. So well, it's um, kind of life changing. Absolutely. So they come back yeah. and do it again, yeah. which I think it is life changing. It. And it has been for me too. You know, yeah. I think we're all kind of having a similar experience. Well that's terrific. Well you know I got um <clears throat> we're getting at, um, at the end of the hour here, but I want to do a, have one more big question for you. Um, and it's been a fascinating conversation. So, 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 what's the next steps? What's the future look like? What, what? If I had, a, if I had you back in five years, right? Where, where do you see this program going? What, what do you hope? What's your aspirations for it? I would like a robust program where we're offering multiple courses at both facilities every semester with a bridge program, right, that helps guys after they get out, right, plan for their future, settle in, keep another, a couple courses going. Um, one of the fantastic things is that um, we started working with Karen Ryan on this as well, and so she helps um, just with the logistics of all that stuff. And um, the provost has already committed to six courses for next academic year, which we're excited about because we can plan ahead, right? So that's one of the things, like lining up the faculty, getting the TAs, making sure all the clearances are done. I think continuing to build in that way where we can plan for a long term and have serve more people, have bigger cohorts of people, and have a, a real presence here on campus so that people know about us and we don't have to maybe keep explaining it, right? We want a lot of the established programs like faculty are coming to them, right? Because they know what's going on. They know what's really valuable. I think that's that's what I'd like to see. And I'd like to see us have a Center for Educational Justice that can house all of this. That is a structure that's set up as much as Emma and I are great at hustling and like getting this done <laughs> long term. We need sort of a, a more clear system that um, keeps the program going and running without it always having to be she and I in the nitty gritty. Yeah. Are there other... Um... You know, we've got the dynamic duo here. Are there other, other faculty that are interested in this that you think you can come along and, and develop as well? Absolutely. I mean, Art Ledoux in philosophy taught a class, that, yeah. and they loved him. I mean, 
Joe Stasio mm-hmm. in business did a class. We have Emma Polyakov lined up to do world religions, and she's got her own TAs. Um, at Mo- momentum is definitely building, so I think as soon as we can, um, you know, just have a picture of the future and sort of figure it out, I think it'll continue the way it has been. Yeah. Well, this is a great story. You know, I, I know three years ago we talked about this, and I encouraged you to, to go do it and then to get some research grants, and you've you've actually probably applied to a half a dozen, and, and congratulations on the Rappaport Foundation. Thank grant. you. That's a big deal to get yeah. one. And, yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's the first of many to come, so congratulations. Thank you. Well, that's kind of wraps it up for the day. Uh, I want to thank our uh, Associate Professor of Criminology, uh, Brittany Aiello, uh, and I want to thank um, Emma Duffy uh, Comparoni. Got it. Uh, got yeah. that right? Look at that. Huh? <laughs> but just at all half hour. Um, uh, Assistant Professor of English, I want to thank both of you for your hard work and your dedication, and this is a wonderful program. And thank you for, you know, the administration's been really supportive, so we definitely couldn't have done it without all of you. It's great for me as president to see um, two talented people take an idea. Thank you. All I do is encourage it, Mm -hmm. you know, but to see it happen is really what's, you know, brings great joy to the college and me and, and to make a difference in the world. That's what it's all about, especially at this time of the season. It's nice. So congratulations, and um, and thank you for everything you do for our community and our school. Much thank appreciated. you. Thank you. Thank you, guys.